bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. This is God's word. You may be seated. <laughs> Believe it or not, there was a time when I was taller than him. <laughs> I forget which one it was, uh, but this last week we were talking about uh, the scripture readings, and uh, the, the guy said, uh, absolutely, love to read scripture, as long as it's not one of those that has all the names in it. So, <laughs> no, we wait until you graduate from college before we do that one. <laughs> I, I think that we have one of the best youth ministers in North America. I just think that Cody... I think that, uh, that, that Cody does a fantastic job. I think he's got a great set of youth deacons that work with him. He's got a great uh, elder over youth, Cliff McCauley, that, uh, that works with him and, and helps him um, as an elder should. Uh, behind every great youth minister is a great youth minister's wife, and I'm really appreciative of, of Christy and all of the ways that she helps and allows uh, Cody to do what he does. Uh, t- this morning, if you came in a little bit late, it's our senior recognition, and when you were coming in, you probably noticed all of these tables around the, the, uh, the family room, what we call the family room, our main foyer, and these, these kids, uh, a lot of them have, have been with our church family since the day they were born. And we know a lot about them. Some of them have not been with us quite that long, and we know them pretty well. But we, we love them all the same. And when you go out this, this morning at the end of our assembly, make sure you take time to, to stop by all of those tables and to talk with those kiddos and, and their parents and, and to look at the things that they are involved in and the things they want to be involved in, some of the things that they have already achieved in life. And we're just really, really thankful for all of these kiddos that have shared their first 18 years of life with us. Um, that is to say that there's still a lot to do. Uh, this summer, there is a lot of camps to be a part of. Just a reminder to, to parents as well as to, uh, to the kiddos that the work camp uh, deadline is today. 
And if there are other camps that you're wanting to be a part of as well as work camp, make sure that you get signed up as quickly as possible. You can do so with the church app or you can contact the church office and Cody and all of that. But make sure that you know about those deadlines and you get signed up. Uh, reminder two, and, and we'll be done with the, <laughs> with the commercials and we'll get into the text. Uh, men's prayer luncheon is going to be this Tuesday. Uh, it's going to be at noon. Uh, John Skipworth is the guy that ramrods that, uh, 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 our deacon in charge of the men's ministry. And as you know, it's a great opportunity for all of the guys to come together in the middle of the afternoon, or excuse me, in the middle of the day at lunchtime and share a meal together. It's $5 for all of the pizza and dessert and, and uh, soft drinks and stuff like that that you can uh, intake. But it's more than that. It's a time for us to get together and to laugh and to joke with one another and and, but more importantly, to pray with one another and to share the things that are going on in our lives and things that are important to us and to pray over that in the name of Jesus. And it is a peak of the week for a lot of the guys. And if you've never been as your minister, let me invite you to come and to be a part of that, that men's prayer luncheon this Tuesday over in the fellowship hall. Now with that said, we're going to be looking at this, uh, this rather large text. We're not going to, to, to be quite as in-depth with it because what Paul is doing is basically introducing everything he's going to talk about in the rest of the book with these first 16 verses of chapter 4. So let's begin with a word of prayer and then let's dive into it. Father, in all of the ways that you make us want to know you and to want you more deeply and profoundly and intimately in the, the days of life that you have given to us, we pray that you do it in Christ. We, we want our whole existence to be immersed in your presence. All that we are and all that we endeavor to do in this life and to be in this life, this one life that you have given us, we pray that it be to your glory. And that your nearness in this life, Father, be the very thing that becomes our greatest good. So we invite you not only into our head and into our brain, but we invite you into our heart. And we pray all of this, Father, knowing that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear this and discern this text. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I, I've used this, uh, this illustration before, and uh, I, I, I love this illustration because I know it to be true. The, the knowledge that, and the certainty that I have that I am loved by my ability to understand it by Ellen is as, as true a fact as most of the things that I have going for me. I, I know... And, and I pray that, uh, that, I, that, that I'm not that kind of a husband, but I could do the most heartbreaking thing in the world, and she would not stop loving me. And the, and the vice versa, the, the flip side of that coin is true as well. She is loved by me in a way that is beyond her understanding and comprehension, that she could do the worst thing possible in our marriage and I would not stop loving her and desiring her in my life even though that's, that, that's, that's taken place. So knowing that to be true, 
knowing that to be true in my life and in her life, in our marriage together, what am I supposed to do with that kind of love? Put it to the test every, every chance I get? Or do I try to live a life that's worthy of that kind of love? We're in the closing section. Actually, we, we closed out last week that theological session of, of, of Ephesians where Paul has, has taken all of those great, great facts, this kind of nosebleed area here in terms of the theology. And, and as he's closing out that letter, Paul does something really, really special. He has reminded us that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You may not live this way, but it's a truth, a foundational spiritual truth of your life, nonetheless, that you are blessed, you are inundated with all of the blessings you need in this life to flourish and to thrive as a disciple of Jesus. Not only that, you have been chosen in Christ before the creation of the world, that God was thinking thinking about your life before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Not only that, he has predestined us and shaped us to be his children. And that's just what God has done, Paul reminds us. There's also what the Christ has done. He has redeemed us. That is, he has ended our enslavement to sin through his blood. We all, coming into Christ, into the church, into our salvation, experience the forgiveness of our sins. That guilt has been removed. And not only that, God the Spirit has done some incredibly important things to us. He has sealed us, that is, He has authenticated us as children of God. He has been deposited in us. The Spirit indwells in us like earnest money that is a guarantee for every promise that is true in Christ to be true in our life. And not only that, God has reversed our future. In this life, we think of life going to death. But in the kingdom of God, it is about us being spiritually dead, but being made alive forever and ever because of Christ. And not only that, he does not saddle us with the impossible responsibility of earning our salvation. It is a grace. It is a gift to us. And because of all of these things that's happening in and around us as brothers and sisters, he's tearing down fear in our hearts. And he's tearing down walls of animosity and enmity between people by reconciling them in Christ. The cross of Jesus reminds us that we've all been leveled by sin and grace. And not only that, God uses his church, us. He uses us to underscore, he uses us to highlight the defeat of evil before the eyes of the invisible world. And he does all of that. And while we're all getting nosebleeds because Paul has lifted us up in you know, the 5,000 foot uh, altitude view of all of this, he ends that theological section with a prayer. And he prays that all of these truths will become like a critical mass that just detonate at the center of who we are. And so he says in verse 17 of chapter 3, he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, with all of us to grasp, that is, to hold on to, to get a grip on how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know his love that we need help to know because it's a love that surpasses knowledge. Now, what happens when you begin to grasp a love that surpasses your knowledge and surpasses your understanding? 
What happens when you begin to understand that you are loved that profoundly and deeply in life? The answer is found in verse 1 of chapter 4. You live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You'll remember that when we were looking at Romans uh, two years ago, that this is sort of the same kind of argument that Paul has to make in Romans, right there in the very middle of that first section, chapter 6. He says, you know, after all of these things that I've written about, you know, not being able to earn your salvation, that it comes to you as, as a grace, as a gift, that you're not able to earn that, that salvation. I mean, the sin, the one sin, the multiple sin, however many sins that you have in your life, that is what condemns you. It is God's grace that saves you. So somebody's going to argue and says, well, listen, if that's the case, why don't we just sin all the time? Why don't we just sin in order for that grace to abound and to abound and to abound? Now, if you were to ask Paul, he would say, that sounds like somebody who doesn't get the love of Christ. He doesn't get the cross. He doesn't get the redemption. What he's saying is, let us live the same old life and take advantage of the grace that's given to us. He doesn't get it. And Paul responds by saying, you don't have a clue as to what the death of Christ means. You don't get it. You don't get what your baptism is all about, and you don't get what Christ's death is all about, and you certainly do not get the resurrection. That's what he says in Romans. The same thing. As a Christian... You are an individual who is getting all of these radioactive type truths all the way to the center of your being and they begin to give birth or to issue forth in a new kind of a life. The gospel is not an add-on. The gospel does not give you more things to add on to your life. The gospel is not about you getting a new leaf, but you get a new life. That's what the gospel is about. In Ephesians chapter 4, Those 16 verses that Luke just read, it's an introduction to what this new life looks like when he's writing to this church in Ephesus that's experiencing all of these great truths that he's written about in the first three chapters. And Paul's going to spend the rest of the letter explaining what these three things mean, and there are three of them. As a disciple of Jesus, you are a person that unifies. Number two, you are a person who serves. And number three, you are a person who becomes mature. Let's begin with that first one. A disciple works at unity. You know, one of the things that's kind of uh, uh, common in our culture is to identify things by their number. For instance, anybody heard of the numbers 9-11? Terrorist attack on America, known as 9-11. The unlucky number in our culture is what number? What number? 13. The number of the beast in Revelation, it's not just a a, a North American thing, it's a biblical thing, it's too. The the mark of the beast in Revelation is 666. 12. Roger Staubach. (laughs) 23. Michael Jordan. 21. Who? uh, Come on, we're Spurs fans. Tim Duncan. (laughs) Do you know what the natural number of the kingdom of God is? One. It's one. He says in verse 4, one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What is the one word, no pun intended, what is the one word that keeps being emphasized over and over and over again? The number is one. One. 
One is the number of the kingdom of God. Now, a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth is somebody who doesn't just acknowledge that, that it's right here in the head, but it's something that works its way throughout our entire body. That is a truth that we work at. It means that we also become active in the solution of unifying and becoming the one body called by one Lord, all of these kinds of things that he's talked about in verses 4, 5, and 6. We work at that. We are a part of the solution. And how do you do that? He tells us in verses 2 and 3. Completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. You see, that's implied there. That the unity of the Spirit is the thing that fits. What we have to do is to make sure that what is implied and what is assumed and natural in the kingdom of God remains that way through the bond of peace. Now he says be humble. Be humble. Not considered a virtue in the ancient Roman world. What it means is that you lower yourself to respect the needs of others. It means that you restrain the rampant sense of entitlement that every single person of every generation has had to struggle with. To be humble means that we do not judge someone because they sin differently than us. We're humble with each other. But then he also says gentle. Not running roughshod over people, but being kind, being considerate. Not using force all the time, but knowing tenderness. Lacking harshness when dealing with other people. Not only humble and gentle, but patient. Recognizing that people have faults. Recognizing that people are far from perfect, beginning with the person you see every morning in the mirror. You know what's so ironic about patience? Is that you don't get patience until you waited through something. It, it's about long-suffering. And then he says, bearing one another in love, which I think is probably combining all of these things into one. It's being strong for those who aren't strong. It's bringing love to bear in the lives and the weaknesses of others. You know, it's, it's a very ironic fact with as much as we talk about love and as much as love is supposed to be a fixture, the wallpaper, the, the atmosphere, the air that we breathe in the body of Christ, but sometimes it's people at church who are the very ones who hurt us or hurt you. And what happens is we become angry. And when you become angry, you have to figure out the source of, of that, that anger and that hurt. And when you target that person, it leads to resentment. And if you resent them for very long, you become bitter towards them. And that's not the body of Christ. So we're humble with one another and we're gentle with one another. We're patient. We bear one another in love. And all of these are basically the opposite, if you've been paying attention and thinking about it, all of these are basically the opposite of Western cultural virtues that we applaud. We applaud in our own, our own culture opinionated, aggressive, ambitious people. Now, we may not applaud them when they get on our nerves or they turn all of that on us, 
But when we look at somebody that is really, you know, that is really shaking things up, we usually applaud that and say, this is, this is a person that we want to model our lives after. But these are the very things that strangle the fellowship of the church. And so a disciple is somebody who's not just working with unity in the head, but working unity in the body of Christ. But then number two, he says, a disciple is somebody that serves other folk. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, and there's not nearly enough time just in one sermon to unpack all of the things that, that Paul is, is writing about. But here's a summary truth. Disciples serve to bless people because they have been blessed by God to serve others. Disciples serve to bless because they have been blessed to serve. He says in verse 12 he, that his people are equipped for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach in unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What he's saying there is that one of the ways that God shows his victory in your life through Christ is not only in saving you, but making you useful to the kingdom of God and the building up of the body of Christ. But unfortunately, a lot of churches are like a gigantic football stadium where you have 100,000 people in the stands sitting and watching the 22 that are doing all the work. In a mature, healthy body of Christ, there is an understanding that every person has a part to play in the work and the service and the ministry to each other. And then finally, a disciple grows in maturity. In verse 14 he says, then we will no longer be infants. Kind of a funny thing there. We don't really see it. Maybe we think it's hyperbole if we do. But Paul kind of includes himself in that, doesn't he? We will no longer be infants. But we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Paul is making an assumption that hardly anyone makes. And that is he assumes immaturity. He assumes immaturity. Why? Because conversion in a lot of people's minds means graduation rather than a new birth. And one of the wrong assumptions that we make in church life is that growing old is the same thing as growing up. And Paul will not make that assumption. Everyone has to grow up. Growing old should never be assumed with growing up. This weekend, Ellen and I uh, got a, a, a crash course in babies. It's been a course that we've been thinking about for the last year, but for the last couple of days, uh, Ellen and I have kept Blair as mom and dad. Jess and James have been out of state for a wedding. And uh, it, it's, you know we think she is the, the greatest kid in the world. We love her. In fact, uh, that's my hand, and that's her, her little body as she was sleeping and holding my hand one day. I, we just, I, I think about her all the time. But as much as I love her, if I'm not keeping an eye, or Mimi is not keeping an eye on her, she will eat dirt. <laughs> or worse. This kid has absolutely no discernment whatsoever yet and not only that she can be very self-centered 
I mean, her days are pretty black and white. She has a black and white way of looking at a at, at partner and looking at Mimi. And either the grandparents are making her happy or the opposite is true. Uh, her grandparents are not making her happy. And that's basically her life. And not only that, she's easily distracted. I mean, we can be in the living room. I can be holding, you know, the greatest toy in the world and her eyes just, you know, boggled and just, you know, roll around. And she sees it and she comes running over to me. And then at, right halfway across the living room, she goes, oh, look, a dog dish. <laughs> and the next thing you know, she's falling face first into the dog's water bowl. And, you know, and Ellen's going, why don't you pick her up and get her out of that? And I said, I'm not touching her. You know, it's in a dog dish, you know. I mean, it's just... <laughs> But where, where David says we're sheep, Paul says we're infants. And that should just be a wake-up call for everybody here this morning to say, I, I may have learned a couple of things in all the decades and years that I've been a disciple, but I still have a ways to go and energy to burn and resources to spend into becoming more like Christ every day of my life. And you kind of see what Paul is doing here, right? When he talks about unity and he talks about serving other people, he talks about you know, growing up into the fullness of Christ, being mature, no longer an infant. He's really reminding us that at the end of the day, what we're striving to do is to look like Jesus. You think about that unity. Jesus leaves heaven and comes to the earth and he says to human beings, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? Where have we heard that word before? Gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And serving one another He's Lord of lords and King of kings. Yet his own self-identifying statement about his own personal ministry, Matthew chapter 20, the Son of Man did not come to be what? Served. But to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come to be served, but to serve others. And then not only that, maturity. You know, there's that, that there, in fact, it's all over the, the New Testament, not just in the Gospels. But the one I want to use is, is found in John chapter 14 where Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. They've just finished the, the washing and who's going to be the greatest. And he's telling them that they don't need to be fearful even though he's going away. He's, he's making a lot of rooms in his father's house. and He'll come back and get them. And at one point, Philip asks him, well, Jesus, if you'll just show us the father that'll be okay. That'll be okay. And it sounds so great because Philip wants to see the Father, just like Moses. And Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And all Paul is going to do in the rest of the letter to the Ephesians is to say, let's, let's work on looking like a disciple of Jesus, which means that we look like the Christ himself. 
Let's figure out and put in not just the mind work, but the sweat equity and the change and all of the pain to, uh, of repentance that needs to take place in our lives in order to serve people and to unify people the way that Christ did and to look like Christ the way that he showed us what the Father looked like, that when people look at every individual in our church, they somehow get an idea of what God the Father is all about. Our mission statement is, is we love God and we love people and we're going to change the world. That will never happen if we just go to church. It happens when we decide that we're going to be the church, the body of Christ, which reflects the glory of God in this world. That's what we do. We have an opportunity, it's an invitation really, that we're going to extend, an opportunity for you to, to make some prayer needs known. Uh, some shepherds are going to be down here at the front. But this is going to be a great time that if there's some areas of your life that you're struggling with that you would like your brothers and sisters to be praying about or, or maybe you've decided that the life you've been living is a life that's vain, it's a life that's empty, it's a life without direction, it's a life that needs to be changed, it's a life that needs to be blessed by the creator of the heavens and the earth, it's a life that needs to be saved, it's a life that needs to be converted and transformed, it is a life that needs the gospel. And if that describes you this morning, we want to give you that opportunity by extending an invitation to you to make those needs known to these shepherds down here at the front while the rest of us stand. And with full voice and hearts full of love, we praise God together. We will glorify.